We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Inside the Huddle. Uh, this is our pregame show for Indiana versus Florida International. The game kicks off Saturday evening at 8 o'clock at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington. Um, we're hoping for a good one. Uh, FIU came off of last week. Uh, they beat up Florida at Central Florida. They've had nine days to prepare for Indiana. Uh, Indiana is coming off a narrow victory over Southern Illinois where uh, the defense did not look um, that stout uh, or, or not all that good. Uh, any way you want to put it, uh, they did not look great um, in that win over Southern Illinois. Uh, we welcome in our co-host, TJ Inman. TJ, how are you this week? I'm doing very well, Sammy. Excited to uh, to move on from Southern Illinois. And just uh, as we said on, on Monday's recap show, just, be glad that uh, disaster was avoided and we can discuss another opponent and uh it, I'm looking forward to week 2 already. I, I week 1 was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it's you know the most important thing was that they did get the win uh and they move on. Uh there was uh you know it looked like coach Wilson got a little testy there uh at the press conference on Monday. Uh he issued a statement regarding the players that were suspended saying that they weren't suspended that they were not just not available. And then he retracted that statement and clarified it, saying that the eight players were suspended for one game and T. Gray Scales would be suspended for two. Uh, so no T. Gray Scales uh, in week two against uh, Florida International. It will be, uh, you know, that Indiana gets some reinforcements with Ralph Green and Darius Latham coming back. Uh, Greg Gooch also comes back to, to give uh, some bandits some time off. Uh, but T. Gray Scales is a big loss at uh, outside linebacker. Yes, yeah. Uh, Tigre Scales, in my opinion, is the best defensive player that they have. Um, I don't know if he's the most important, but because I, I think the other guy that you might throw into that equation might be Chase Dutra, uh, and we do not know the status of Chase Dutra either. Believe me, we and several others have asked. Um, you know, we've done our best to find out uh, whether or not Chase is going to be available uh, this Saturday or, you know, any timeline really, and, and no one knows, uh, or the people that do know aren't telling us. And um, yeah, so I think you're looking at T-Gray Scales and Chase Dutra both. I would guess, and this is just a guess, I would guess that neither one is going to play on Saturday. Uh, and those are those are two really big losses. You know, you have your best linebacker and your best secondary player, or at least your most experienced secondary player, 
that are going to be missing for a, a game against um, not an explosive offense, but an offense that showed they are capable of moving the ball. Definitely going to be things that hurt, but it is good to get uh, the two defensive line guys back, Ralph Green and Darius Latham. That's going to be a big help. Hopefully cause some disruption in the backfield because uh, against SIU, they were really unable to get any negative plays against that offense, whether it be uh, pass rush things um, that was virtually non-existent, or even breaking up some of those um, some of the run plays that SIU ran, breaking those up in the backfield. There was really no disruption from the defensive line. I think Ralph Green and Darius Latham would be the two guys that would provide that uh, on Saturday. Hopefully, and if they don't, then I think you're looking at a, a big concern for the for the Hoosiers' defense moving forward because there's really no one else coming that would uh, that would provide that. So um, that's good. Greg Gooch, yeah, back at Bandit linebacker, he's playing behind Zach Shaw. I'm not sure how many snaps Gooch is going to get. I think that Shaw played. Uh, he said he played 70 snaps. I don't know, but uh, he was certainly in the game a lot and uh, will be again on Saturday. So I'm not sure how much Greg Gooch is going gonna, is gonna to see action. But for me, uh, looking at um, the big question since we're talking about the defense is, how big of an improvement is there going to be for all of these young players from week one to week two? Typically you hear that the biggest jump you have for young players is between that first week and that second week because they've been through a week of it, and now they know it's not practice anymore. It's not just people telling them. Now they've got an actual game experience. They've been through that 60 minutes of it, and they know exactly what it is that they're preparing for moving forward, and there's usually a big jump up. And I think that the question for this, especially the secondary, is going to be, how big of a jump is going to occur throughout the season and how big of a jump is there going to be from week one to week two. Uh, you know, we're not going to know the answer to that until the FIU game, but uh, there has to be a significant jump forward. Uh, and I think one thing we're going to talk about is the defensive staff um, coming under some, some very public criticism. Um, and then, you know, Brian Knorr talking this week about, and some of the players talking about Dunn at practice um, and in meetings to attempt to improve the communication of this defense because they felt that communication um, and maybe sticking a little bit too close to a script that you can't really follow once the game starts uh, were, were kind of the big issues that cost them on Saturday. Yeah, and, and, you know, Wilson was very upset with the defensive staff. I felt that he kind of threw them under the bus, saying that, that they I, I've been trying to tell them at practice to prepare for the unprepared, to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, however you want to phrase it. Um, but ultimately it comes down to this is, you know, he's the head coach. This is a huge year for him. I know some people don't believe that, um, and, and I think they're crazy but this is a huge year for him and he needs to win. And I, I think the pressure is, is kind of, you know, you know it, he kind of threw Nor under the bus there for saying that he's, 
know, not really practicing correctly, which ultimately comes down to that's the head coach's responsibility. Uh, you know, done. Anyway, going in, uh, back to FU, they did not have a negative play uh, in the run game last week. Uh, they rushed you know, 31 times for 134 yards. I think they took a knee um, and lost three yards, but uh, other than that, there was no no sacks, no uh, tackles for loss uh, in a running game, which is where IU struggled last week, and it's going to be one of the keys to the game for Indiana to get into those uh, you know third situations where the defense can be more successful. Uh, last week, I think Indiana was uh, or Southern Illinois was 11 for 17 on uh, third down conversions. Not sure how many of those were third and short. Uh, a lot of them were. It seemed like uh, Southern Illinois was picking up, you know, five, six, seven yards a play uh, on first down and setting up those, you know, third and shorts, uh, second and shorts that, that you know, it, it's very tough to stop. Even if with the good defense, it's tough to stop on on uh, on third and twos. Uh, Southern, or Florida International does have some, some uh, talented players. You know, Thomas Owens, uh, different T.O., not, not uh, Terrell Owens. But uh, he had 11 catches for 78 yards. Jonu Smith, who's their tight end, has caught a ball in, I think, 25 straight games. So they have their playmakers. Uh, Indiana struggled guarding the tight end last week um, against Adam Funchy. Uh, but, you know, these – you got you're right, TJ. you got to adjust. It's week two. Um, you've seen what FIU did on tape against uh, Central Florida – You'd expect them to come out. Uh, Ron Turner's been all around for a long time. You know the offense he runs. Uh, it's very similar to Indiana. Uh, so, you know, the steps must be taken. Uh, Indiana's offense going to the offensive side of the ball, um, they're going to be challenged. FIU is a fast, stout defense. They held uh, Central Florida to 46 yards rushing on 30 attempts, so that's one and a half yards per carry, uh, 249 total yards. There are several throws that the Central quarter, uh, Central Florida quarterback threw where their, uh, you know, Florida International's DBs jumped the route, almost had picks, almost t- had pick sixes. Uh, that's something that uh, Nate Sudfeld's going to have to be wary about is trying to fit that ball into those tight spaces, tight windows. We saw him try to do that against Southern Illinois. Now, a couple of those balls should have been picked. Um, so, Nate Sudfeld's going to have to take care of the ball, maybe use a, a, a pump fake uh, and a stop-and-go route uh, to take advantage of the, that aggressiveness and kind of neutralize the the speed that FIU has on defense. Yeah, the, the first thing that jumped out to me when, when we were watching the game that they played against Central Florida was the speed that they have on the defensive side of the ball. Describe it as, a, I would say, a fast and aggressive defense. Uh, particularly in the secondary. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, the big question for me is going to be can, in the passing game, it's going to be can the IU wide receivers get separation on these DBs as, as fast as they are. And what that comes down to is, one, crisp route running. Uh, you've got to be sharp in your routes because if if you're playing against an aggressive secondary, uh, your quarterback needs to know exactly where you're going to be. So he needs to have 100% trust that you are going to be in the correct place when he throws that ball. Um, 
If not, then the secondary can break on it. If the receiver is a couple feet off of where he needs to be, that's certainly enough space for a pass to get picked off. And like you said, go the other way for six. Um, this, I think that uh, I looked up a couple of numbers that after watching them play Central Florida, and you're right, they were really, really good against Central Florida's run game. So I, I wanted to find out kind of that mint um, because it, it's really hard after one week because you don't know, oh, is Central Florida just not very good or is FIU a lot better than people thought or, you know, it, it, there's really no way of knowing after just one game is such a small sample size. But Yeah, and, and uh, let's remember that Central Florida was up 14-3 at halftime. Uh, it took yes. a blocked field goal for Florida International to win. So it wasn't like they came out and dominated. Yeah, they shut them out in the second half, and and they played really well. But, you know, Central Florida had this game in hand almost, and FIU snatched it away. Yeah, yeah. And I, I Central Florida in 2014, which, again, this is not necessarily a tell-all stat at all, but I think it is telling. Central Florida was not a good rushing team in 2014, and they did not really add any pieces that would lead you to believe they'd be a lot better in 2015. They were only 87th in rushing offense in 2014. So it's very possible that it's a poor rushing attack that FIU shut down. I mean, look, it's impressive to hold a team to a yard and a half per carry and 46 yards on the ground. That's impressive. I don't care who you're playing against. But – it's not as if they're playing a great rushing attack in Central Florida. So the size and kind of the the weight of the Florida International defensive line, they're not small by any means, but it's not a not a huge defensive line either. Definitely not a huge linebacker core. Um, I think that IU will have success running the football if they stay committed to it, which we know that they will. They're not going to abandon the running attack. They know it's the strength of this uh, this uh, this team. So I think that IU is going to have some success. I don't think it's realistic to expect them to, once again, have like 260 yards on the ground. But I do think that Jordan Howard's going to have another nice day. Uh, one thing I'm looking to see is can Divine Redding – uh, cut down on some of the negative runs that he had, and not all his fault at all. It's just sometimes that that's maybe the play call. Uh, the defense was able to read it and get into the backfield, or maybe just a missed block or, or something. Uh, a couple of them I thought that he sort of feels and got himself caught, but uh, I'm looking to see if he can improve on his yards per carry average, which was, I think, 3.6. Uh, it was significantly less than Jordan Howard's, but um, I do think yeah, that a lot of running those, can have some success. Uh, negative runs came on outside runs uh, yeah. where I don't think he really has the speed to get at the edge uh, all the time. But, uh, you know, we'll see uh, how they met. Uh, Jordan Howard was very impressive, uh, as everybody has said. And, and we'll see, you know, this – you're right. The, the run game is the strength of the Indiana offense right now. Uh, the passing game's there too. Um, you know, Sud fell through for 345 yards, but it, it, to wear this Florida international team down, you're going to have to run the ball. And that's the style of runner Jordan Howard is too, is he's 
going to run over people. He's going to run by people. He doesn't have that next level speed or that next gear that Tevin Coleman had, but he's going to get a couple carries where he gets, you know, 35, maybe 40 yards or bust one for a touchdown. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and these cornerbacks aren't, aren't so, aren't too big. So maybe he runs a couple over them and they start starting. I have to, uh, you know, maybe load the box a little bit and, and it opens up the passing game. So, It'll be a tough game against FIU. I think IU opens as seven and a half point favorites. The I, I, I believe it was you who told me that it was um, the over under was fifty three and a half, which seems very low, uh, especially for an IU game and an IU team who let up forty seven points to to uh, Southern Illinois. But you know, it, it's eight o'clock game. It should be thankfully cooler. It won't be a gazillion degrees again. Um, so hopefully, fans come out. You know they didn't. Hopefully they didn't lose all the fans from, uh, from before. Uh, you know from that, that uh, performance. Other than that, I mean, special teams. Indiana's going to have to step it up on special teams. Uh, they did basically nothing and gave up nine points. I think Wilson said two on the two point conversion and, and um, six on the block punt. They have to clean up a lot of stuff. Uh, the these are things that if FIU outperforms them on special teams, FIU is going to be right there in the game. Uh, special teams are huge. Uh, nobody, you know, Wilson stresses it, but yet you see there hasn't been really any improvement. I know it's one game, but there hasn't been any improvement from, you know, last year where it wasn't, they didn't really do anything. I mean, it, you know, that they get the ball to the 20 yard line on kickoffs and, and they get a few touchbacks, but they, there's no game-changing plays on special teams that IU needs to do to to start winning these games. Yeah, I thought I thought Griffin Oaks had a positive day kicking off. Um, he did exactly what you want him to do: just put the ball through the end zone. Uh, I thought punting once Eric Toast got punts off, I thought he was fine. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the average on his punts was. I think it was. 40, 41, and then, uh, yeah, the the net on those, however, and we talked about this a little bit on our recap show, so we won't go back into it, but um, the net on those punts was not very good due to a couple no, over kicks that he put in the end zone, and you go ahead. It was twenty. It was like 24.6 yards. I believe yeah. that, that, you know, the block punt counts as minus net, too. So that, you know, but the punts he got off later in the game were very good. They got one down, I think, at the six. Uh, and then the other ones with no returns on fair catches were 40-plus yards. So, you know, it, like I said in the, in the recap last week, it was a roller coaster game for uh, for the special teams. But they need to have it more consistent. They need to have it better uh, because this team is better than FIU. Um, or uh, Florida International is better than than Southern Illinois, and their defense is going to be better. And you know what? If Indiana's defense is not doing the job, they're going to have to score on special teams, uh, and there's no, no two ways around it. Um, so special teams will be a key this week. It's always a key for me because it could make or break the game a lot of times. Uh, TJ, what else does FIU do on offense or defense that, that Hoosier fans should know? Well, I – the first thing that jumps out to me about their offense is the size of the receiving targets. Um, you have Jonu Smith, who, for those that don't know, he was in our top five opposing tight ends. Uh, he was in that series that we had. 
Um, we, uh, we're not the only ones that feel that way. I mean, he's an NFL prospect uh, because of his combination of size and athleticism. Uh, you know, he's 6'3". I don't know how much he weighs, but he's very big. Uh, big target that moves well. They also have another guy who was listed at tight end, but these two, these two play as receiving targets mainly. Akeem Griner, he's six four. Thomas Owens, he's their best receiver. He's six one. Had double digit catches last week, and then Quentin Taylor, the other starting wideouts, five ten. So yeah, that's a big, big group of receiving targets going against a secondary that, uh, you know. If Richard Fant plays, which we hope that he does, but he uh, is dealing with the going through concussion protocol stuff, I, I think it's expected he's going to play, but we don't know. Um, so you're looking at a pretty undersized secondary and a pretty very, very young secondary that's just now physically mature. So the size disadvantage that IU is going to be at in the secondary when FIU does target these big receivers, I think it's going to be something to watch. Um, uh, personally, I think that Mark Iannotti is a better quarterback than what IU is going to see this week. Uh, Alex McGough had a good week last week, 29 of 38 passes. However, the average pass that he attempted was well under 10 yards. Um uh, they don't really stretch the field with them very much. At least they didn't last week. They might try to take some chances after seeing what the IU secondary gave up last week. But uh, against Central Florida, it was mainly passes and quick outs and quick slants to their, their big targets in the middle of the field. Um, their running game, not really overwhelming. Um, I think it's a, a decent offense, but... Uh, I said the same thing about SIU, that they didn't have a lot of targets that should be able to really hurt IU with big plays, but then we all saw the game, and that's not what happened. So, uh, Well, we um, all made mistakes. I said that Mark Iannotti was not a threat to run the ball. and Exactly, happened. and he wasn't. He wasn't. That's what was so confusing about last week, and I, I know that it caught IU's defense off guard because that is not something that Southern Illinois had done last season with Mark Iannotti. They had not run that inside zone read stuff with him. And credit to their coaching staff and to him uh, for throwing that wrinkle in there. I don't think that they expected it to work as well as it did, but when they saw that it was working, they just kept hitting it and hitting it over and over again. Uh, And you can bet that that FIU is going to attempt to do some of the same things, and we'll see if the IU defense has made any adjustments to it or if having Latham and Green in the middle of that uh, defensive line is going to help kind of break those plays up before they get into the second level of the defense. But, yeah, you're right. We we got that wrong. There was nothing in Mark Iannotti's past statistics that showed he would be a running threat to the extent that he was. So I I don't feel bad about missing that one. But I'll say the same thing here about FIU's offense. There's not a ton of big plays – Last week, they had three plays of 25 yards or more, which for as many offensive plays as they ran, that's not a ton. They only had one play of more than 30 yards. That's not a lot of explosive plays, but they were still able to rack up almost 400 yards of total offense. Um, 
but the strength of this team, and if they are to, I think that if FIU is to have a successful season, it's going to be on the back of their defense, which we've talked about some. Um, the offense for them should not cause good defenses very many problems, but it's to say that IU has a good defense at this point. If IU is able to play a decent game defensively, I think that the Hoosiers have enough offensive firepower to to win this one on Saturday night. But the big question is going to be, can the guys that are returning from suspension make a big enough difference, plus the guys that have now had a game of experience, plus whatever communication improvements they've been able to make, and the, the staff said that they have approached things a little bit differently this week, they have had uh, the freshmen making the play calls um, and making kind of those signal checks and things like that that happen pre-snap. They've had the freshmen doing that before every play that they've run in off or on defense this week during practice, and they're going to continue to do that to try and help them be able to improvise when things don't go quite as you expect them to um, once the game gets going. And that's, it sounded to me like that was the big issue that the IU defense had was that they had a plan. The plan was quickly blown apart as I think is pretty standard once you get into a football game. And then the young IU defense was unable to adjust to things. And that's really what it looked like because when they came out in the second half, it looked like they had adjusted once they got in the locker room and those first, what was it, two or three series that I just defense played in the second half were actually good. They got stops, they got three and outs, Indiana took control of that game, uh, and they had a chance to kind of separate themselves a little bit, and that was the only time really that the offense sort of stumbled. But the defense looked like it made some adjustments and was able to get off the field on a couple of third downs and force some punts. Um, then you had the fourth quarter start, and SIU made some adjustments, and the Indiana defense was unable to adjust to those adjustments. And then again, the points started pouring in for the Salukis. So I think the, the big thing is going to be can this defense adjust once things go off plan, which is going to happen in every game. And I, I'm not sure if they're experienced enough to do it at this point, but the coaching staff is aware of the problems. There's no way they can't be aware of them. And we're going to see on Saturday night whether or not they were able to make enough improvements throughout the course of the week to have it make a positive difference. I think if the defense plays a decent game, it's going to be enough for IU to win this one by a couple of possessions. Yeah, uh, the defense in that Southern Illinois game, uh, they allowed the offense to go on a 17-0 run that got Indiana back. We we said that was the turning point of the game. Uh, it was mm-hmm. more like turning points, um, but that – you know, going on a 17-0 run there. I, I think, you know, if you're Kevin Wilson, I would challenge the defense. And def- if you win the toss, defer, ha- or um, not defer, I would uh, I, I, I would play defense. I would kick. I, you know, if you win the toss, I would say I, I want to kick and let them take the ball and, and give your defense, you know, say that you have some confidence in them and give them a shot to stop them. FIU, you're right, they're not an explosive offense. They only had 300 and – I think under 350 – or uh, just under 400 yards 
of total offense, which nowadays is not, you know, the the greatest. But um, right. you know, give your defense, uh, you know, a, a, a kick in the pants and get going and say, hey, guys, we have faith in you. Let's go stop them and have our offense score. Um, I, they'll be fired up, ready to go, uh, I, I think, emotionally. Uh, it's the second game for a lot of these players, which should be, you know, get their nerves a little bit more at ease. It, it shouldn't take as long to settle in. Um, it, it, it won't be as hot, which they said wasn't a factor, but when, uh, you know, Southern Illinois is running you up and down the field and, and you're missing – uh, significant players on defense. It, it's got to take a, a hit. Uh, some things Indiana defense needs to do. They need to break up a pass. Uh, they did not break up a pass against Southern Illinois. Uh, these corners need to uh, do something. Uh, the safeties need to do something. Now, it, you know, Chase Stutra, I would list him as doubtful, um, but we'll see. You never know at Wilson um, what he's going to do. I, I would list him as doubtful, but uh, these defensive backs need to play better you know get a pass breakup and the defensive line and the front seven have got to get a push they were getting blown off the ball against southern illinois um and they need to get the push and into the backfield that'll make uh you know uh magoo a little uh alex magoo a little uh uncomfortable there uh so those are you know some of the keys of the game we'll see how they come out you're right tj indiana should win this game i could see them winning it comfortably um, if some of these things happen, if they don't play well, it's going to be another nail biter and, and we'll see where it mm-hmm. goes from there. And you head into to week three, uh, very, very nervous. Yeah, I, I think that they will need to play a good game um, to, to have me feeling confident going to Western Kentucky. Um, not that my confidence has any impact on, on anything, but it would help me help me throughout the week that's for sure um i i do think do think that the defense will be improved um and that's not going out on a limb because the bar is very low for improvement uh but i i do think that that they will have a a better second game largely because the depth is going to be better with these guys back and that that helps it does having a bigger rotation helps things particularly late in the game um and then I, I just think that they are going to have – the young players are going to have a better grasp of, of what's required of them throughout this week of practice and that they'll have a, a little bit better game on Saturday night. Um, I don't I don't know how much better, but I do think it's going to be improved enough to, to get a win. But really there are so many question marks heading into, heading into the game that it's impossible to feel confident about predicting anything. So – um, I'm just looking forward to, to seeing what, what adjustments are made. I'm looking forward to seeing the IU offense on the field again. They were quite a bit of fun to watch, which was really good to see after the second half of last year, which was nobody's fault. It was just the situation that it was uh, in 2014 after Sudfeld went down. But it was just a lot of fun to see to see an offense that we hadn't really seen click like that uh, since 2013. It was it was good to see that that. IU offense kind of there in vintage form, and I'm looking forward to watching that again because it's, it's just fun to see Nate Sudfeld conducting an offense when it's rolling. Um, but, yeah, like I said, so many question marks, it's impossible to feel really good about any prediction, but I, I think that IU wins by uh, something like 10 points, and, and as you mentioned, that over-under of 53, I think that that is um, – 
I think that's asking a bit much of both defenses uh, to keep keep the total under 53. I, I would be really surprised if it went went under there. Not that we're giving anyone any gambling advice or anything like that, but uh, I would expect more points to be scored than than what that would suggest. Yep. Um, well, that'll that'll do it for uh, our coverage for I for IU FIU. But we're going to take a uh, view around uh, the Big Ten. Uh, right now to close out the show, uh, TJ, uh, we just put out your viewing guide for week two. There are some great games uh, headlined by uh, Oregon, Michigan State, uh, but we'll start with some of the noon games uh, and go in order, uh, chronological order. Uh, Oregon State plays at Michigan. Uh, so, you know, the Beaver State is coming to the Mitten State uh, in, in both cases. This game's at noon on ABC. Uh, Michigan's 0-1. They they fell to Pac-12 team last week at Utah, and Oregon State's coming off a, a you know Gary Anderson's first win there with a 26-7 victory over uh, Weber State or Weber State over uh, in the FCS ranks. Yeah, I, Oregon State uh, is expected to be one. I think they're expected probably them and Washington and Washington State to be kind of the three. Uh, weakest members of the Pac-12, which Pac-12 did not have a good week one. Um, and I, I I don't anticipate Oregon State coming to the big house in Jim Harbaugh's debut home game, uh, which, you know, Michigan Stadium is, is going to be pretty pumped up to have him back on the sidelines for his home debut. The big question for Michigan is going to be to play the quarterback for now, they're sticking with Jake Rudock. He threw three interceptions against Utah. Jim Harbaugh came out this week on Monday or Tuesday and uh, very publicly defended Jake Rudock, which you'd expect. But uh, he put two of those interceptions on um, by the wide receivers. I, I don't know enough about their offense to know whether or not that's true, but Jake Rudock did not look good against Utah. However, the Michigan defense did look pretty salty. And I, I would anticipate that that's going to be enough for them to win, even if the offense doesn't get rolling. But a concern for Michigan is going to be the quarterback play and the offensive line play. They they didn't run the ball very well at all. Um, I, I wouldn't anticipate that Jake Rudock would be the starter for the entire season. I think Shane Morris is going to get a chance at some point. But this Saturday it's still going to be Rudock, and I think Michigan – uh, gets Harbaugh's first win as head coach of the, the Mason Blue there. So I I would anticipate a big crowd, a low-scoring, ugly game, and a win for Michigan. Yeah, I, I totally agree that crowd's going to be fired up as well. Um, it is Harbaugh's first game. Uh, next, we move mm-hmm. to Western Illinois. Illinois, uh, uh, that Illinois uh, was supposed to have, you know, eight days to prepare for this game. They don't need – they shouldn't need eight games, eight days to prepare for this game. Uh, but it's a noon game, uh, 11 a.m. Central. Uh, Western Illinois, uh, their FCS team, uh, it's where – or sorry, it's Western Illinois. Did I say Eastern Illinois? Somebody else is playing Eastern Illinois. But uh, Yes, they are. Yeah. You know, Illinois looked good against, uh, you know, Kent State. We don't know how great Kent State is. But, uh, you know, 52-3 is impressive. Uh you know, Western Illinois came off and knocked off East Illinois, uh, thirty-three to thirty-three to five in a in a blowout there in a rivalry game. So we'll see how they. You know, Illinois should be able to put up points. They should be able to score. 
uh, should start the year 2-0. and Yeah, Western Illinois beat Eastern Illinois last week, 33-5. to So there you go, the Leathernecks. Pretty cool, uh, pretty cool name. They've got a cool mascot dog with a leather collar, so they decided to name themselves the Leathernecks. Um, they, what was interesting to me about that Illinois Kent State game, which I didn't see hardly any of it. It was a blowout very quickly, twenty-eight nothing before you really even had a chance to get settled in. Um, but the stats from that game are really interesting. Yes, 52-3 to final. Yes, Illinois totally deserved to win that game by quite a few points. But the final yardage total, Illinois only had 70 more yards than Kent State. Uh, but Kent State turned the ball over four times, and they turned it over in very poor spots. As a result, only two of Illinois' scoring drives were longer than 38 yards. So they had... I think four scoring, four touchdown drives that were like somewhere in the range of 10 to 30 yards. Uh, so they got the ball in really good position, took advantage of it, but it's the 52 to three line made it look like they had quite a bit better of a performance than they actually did. But uh, that was a, a good win for that program because it's it's been a very very rough off season for them. So they got some some cathartic release beating up on the Golden Flashes. Uh, yeah. Uh, next, we moved to Bowling Green at Maryland. Uh, Bowling Green lost to Tennessee last week. Uh, they did put off, um, you know, 30, 30 points on, on, a, on a strong Tennessee team. Uh, Maryland looked very impressive, especially in the uh, special teams area where William Likely uh, broke Niall Kinnick's record for most punt return yards in a game. He had 233 yards. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, uh, how that defense stands up and, and plays. They did, uh, let up 21 points to Richmond. Uh, Bowling Green does have a strong, uh, a very strong, um, offense. So we'll see, uh, you know, Bowling Green has beat big 10 teams before. Uh, we all know this, every IU fan knows this. Uh, so we'll see where they, uh, go from there. Yeah, Dino Babers is a really good offensive coach. They have a good offensive system at Bowling Green. Uh, Matt Johnson, a really, really good quarterback. He had, uh, gosh, I've got it in my notes here, uh, 424 yards. Yeah, 424 yards, two touchdowns. They had 557 yards of offense against Tennessee, but they gave up 399 rushing yards to the Volunteers. That's a lot of rushing yards. Reminds me of IU-Wisconsin games. Um, Maryland... So the biggest question I had about them was their passing game because replacing a quarterback, uh, Perry Hills ends up starting and threw for only 138 yards and no receiver had more than 37 yards. And they were, they're having to replace pretty much all of their wide receiver production, which was a strength for them last year. So that was, and still is the big question mark I have for the, you know, William likely is not, not likely, uh, no pun intended to, uh, replicate the 233 pump return yards he had that sparked that victory for them. So I, I think Maryland's kind of on upset alert here. I think Bowling Green is going to be, are going to be in this one from the outset, and I, I expect this to be a pretty exciting game. If you have nothing better to do, um, you can do a lot worse than watching Maryland and Bowling Green at noon. Yeah, it should be. If you like points, I'd, I'd watch that game. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I you don't until eight to you know get your tailgate going, put, prop up the TV. Next game is uh, the Buffalo Bulls at Penn State Nittany Lions. Last week, Penn State uh, lost for the first time in uh, I think seventy years since Joe Paterno was fourteen years old. Uh, it's a Temple. Uh, it was probably a program low. Uh, Christian Hackenberg looked awful. Um, he threw, you know, he had a hundred and something yards uh, throwing. He was under fifty percent. Uh, he was sacked a whopping ten times. Um, so it's the same old, same old for Penn State. It looks like, uh, uh, you know, so that they got to get things corrected if they're going to uh, win this. Uh, Buffalo did uh, beat. Uh, Albany, a, a fellow upstate New York team, uh, 51-14. So it'll be uh, interesting to see if Buffalo's defense can uh, can get in Hackenberg's face. If they do, who knows? Anything could happen. Yeah, I don't think Penn State fans are confident about any game right now. They are favored by three touchdowns in this one or something around that, like 21, 22 points or something. Um I, I'm not sure they can score that many points right now. I, the offensive line appears to have regressed. There's no doubt that Christian Hackenberg has regressed. Uh, why anyone would feel confident about taking him in the first round of an NFL draft is beyond me. Um, he looks totally, totally shaken. Uh, he's virtually a statue. He's immobile. He doesn't help his offensive line at all. And the offense... Uh, their coordinators, John Donovan, their offensive coordinator, appeared during the game to have absolutely no confidence in Hackenberg or his receivers. They did not take virtually any shots down the field. And by down the field, I mean like past 15 yards. It was an incredibly conservative game plan. And Temple beat them 27-10, to and it was no fluke. Penn State was ahead 10 nothing, and after that, it was ugly. The, the honeymoon period for James Franklin, as well as he's recruiting, uh, the honeymoon period is over. Um, I think that their fans are now definitely concerned about the offense that is being run right now. And I'd say that John Donovan really needs to turn stuff around. And they lost Naeem Warpin White, their best linebacker. Uh, he's been lost for the season. So. I don't know. I don't know what to expect from Penn State. I would say if you want points, definitely watch the Bowling Green Maryland game. Do not turn this one on. Yeah, uh, TJ, we looked there for a second. Uh, um, hopefully, people got the gist of what you were saying. Uh, anyway, we're no, going to move I was, on. I was really smart. I was really smart. Trust me, that was probably the yeah, best you, like sixty seconds I've had the whole time yeah, we've been on the show. So. He was spitting out billion-dollar ideas um, as he cut out there. Uh, Anyway, uh, we're going to move on from Buffalo to uh, Indiana State at Purdue. Uh, Purdue looked a lot, uh, very much improved over uh, in their loss against Marshall. Their running game uh, looked very, very uh, good. Their defense looked improved. Austin Appleby uh, looked horrible. He threw four picks. Uh, Two of them went back for touchdowns. Uh, in a game that you know Purdue was in, uh, they had a lead late, and uh, they lost 41-21. Uh, they should be able to uh, beat Indiana State by by a significant amount. Uh, this will be a, a not a I don't want to say a FCS game is a statement game, but this will show you just you know what they could do and, and hopefully improve upon Austin Appleby's numbers. 
so it is an in-state battle, um, and, and it is time to show those home fans what what steps you've taken to improve over the last two years. Yeah, I think that any time you have a struggling program, it's important when you can to pick up uh, very comfortable wins and, and really feel good about yourself. Um, DJ Knox and Markel Jones look good as a running back tandem. Uh, I thought Appleby looked pretty good at times, but then, like you said, he just – some head-scratching turnovers that you really can't have in your starting quarterback. You you can't afford to have four interceptions. Um, as for Indiana State, I, you know, they beat, um, they beat Butler handily, but that does not mean anything, and I, I would not expect them to challenge Purdue. Uh, yeah, and now moving on to Miami of Ohio uh, at Wisconsin. Wisconsin uh, lost 31-17 against Alabama last week. Uh, and really, you know, that's what we expected. Alabama mm-hmm. ran all over them. Uh, it's it's nothing to, you know, nothing to hang your head about. They, they are a top, you know, five team. Uh, Wisconsin needs to bounce back. They need to look good against uh, Miami of Ohio. You can't just beat this team, you know, 28-10 and rely on Corey Clement. You have, this offense has to do something other than run the ball um, well. So hopefully, you know, maybe they, they open it up a little bit, but I do expect the Wisconsin win at home. Uh, that game's at noon on ESPNU. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Wisconsin is going to be just to reestablish that running game. Uh, Alabama has the best front seven in the country, so, you know, it's not a shock that they were unable to run the ball against them. But I feel like Wisconsin fans probably thought, yeah, Alabama's defense is really good, but we'll still have some success running the ball. They they didn't have any. They had 40 yards rushing. Um, I don't know when's the last time they were held under 50 yards on the ground, but uh, I, that was really impressive by Alabama. And I think that uh, it's important for Wisconsin, who's dealing with a restructured offensive line, a lot of new players, plus, you know, Corey Clement, new starting running back. He has a groin injury. I don't know if he's going to play or not. Um, I think it's important for them to kind of just feel good about that running game again after opening up the season with, with such a struggle on the ground, but Miami of Ohio won't be any problem. I think it's just about getting that, uh, getting that good feeling of, of pounding an opponent back. Right. And, and now we're going to move on to Hawaii at uh, the number one ranked Ohio state Buckeyes. That game's at three thirty on big 10 network, Ohio state um, looked like it, uh, you know, looked like it was on the ropes there for a little bit against uh, Virginia tech going down 17, 14 at halftime. Uh, but Virginia Tech lost their starting quarterback, and Ohio State took off from there. Uh, that run by Braxton Miller, where he did that spin move, was unbelievable. Um, you know, they they ended up winning 42-24 uh, against the Virginia Tech defense, who's usually pretty stout. That atmosphere down there was awesome. Uh, so it was an impressive win for the Buckeyes. Uh, they come home and play uh, Hawaii, who knocked off uh, Colorado last week in his head. Uh, Nine nine days to uh, get prepared for for the Buckeyes and Ohio State's coming off a, a, a short week, so maybe you know that plays a little bit into it. Uh, Hawaii stays with them maybe for the first quarter, but Hawaii is also coming to the Eastern Time Zone uh, fr- from uh, whatever time zone they're out there on the uh, from Island Time, and, and 
it, that might screw things up for them as well. Uh, I expect Ohio State to win this game big. Uh, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be close. I expect them to get backups, and and we'll see both quarterbacks play again. Yeah, interesting note on Hawaii. Uh, some of you might remember former USC quarterback Max Wittick, a very high-profile recruit that went to USC, and like many USC quarterbacks, just didn't stick there and transferred after he wasn't named the starter. So he is um, he's in Hawaii now, and uh, they're massive underdogs as Ohio State returns Joey Bosa, Jalen Marshall, and Dontre Wilson, who again, and their incredibly impressive opener, those three didn't even play. So options abound for the Buckeyes. They will have no problem on Saturday, and they probably won't have much of a problem for quite a bit of this season until um, maybe till November. I, I don't know. It's uh, They look like an unstoppable train right now. Yeah, and the next game we got uh, is another Pac-12 uh Big Ten matchup. Uh, Washington State uh, travels to New Jersey to take on Rutgers uh, at 3.30 on ESPNU. Uh, it's been a rough couple weeks off the field for Rutgers, but they took out uh, whatever frustrations they had, they took out on uh, Norfolk State going 63-13 uh, uh, in that win. Washington State fell to FCS foe. I, I believe it was um, Portland State them. Uh, it's Stunning win uh, over there. So, you know, the Cougars are coming off a low. Rutgers coming off a high. Uh, Chris Lavanio, who was suspended the first half, has, has been named the uh, starter for this game. So uh, we'll see what Rutgers does. It's 3.30 ESPNU. It should be, uh, you know, a pretty good game. It was a great game last year up in Seattle mm-hmm. uh, that Rutgers won uh, late uh, on some big pass plays and came back. So, that, that'll be a game to keep your eye on as you're tailgating in Bloomington or uh, getting ready to watch the IU game from your couch. Uh, so tune into that if you, if you do like points again. Yeah, I think that'll be a fun one, and uh, it's always fun to watch Leontae Carew. He had three third-quarter touchdowns after being suspended for the first half. It's kind of like Rutgers was waiting for him to get back into the game so he could come in and kind of put on his Superman cape and just, fly Rutgers away from Norfolk State. But, uh, yeah, I was not surprised that Leviano was declared the uh, declared the starter. He had a very nice second half. And um, this is an interesting interesting one. It, it's uh, expected to be a very, very close one. I think that the, the spread is like two or something. But uh, it's expected to be a close game. So I, I think this will be a fun one to watch uh, at 3.30. There's a couple of national games on at 3.30. But uh, really, that time slot, there's not a ton going on this week. The SEC game is Georgia-Vanderbilt, which you know, we watched Vanderbilt last week, and I don't think Georgia's going to have much of a problem with them. So this one could be a, a good option for you to have on at 3.30. Yep, and next, another good game at 3.30 uh, would be Minnesota at uh, Colorado State. It's on CBS Sportsnet. Uh, hopefully those who do get CBS Sportsnet uh, do tune in for this. Colorado State's a quality program, uh, even though uh, they did lose their head coach and starting quarterback after last year. They did beat Savannah State, who's not a quality program, uh, 65-13 in their opener. Uh, the Gophers, you know, they hung tough with TCU. Uh, they, I mean, they kept it close as one-score game. 
So it, it'll be strength against strength, you know, offense against defense uh, for Minnesota. Uh, if they could score enough points to beat Colorado State up there in, uh, I believe it's Colorado Springs at altitude, it'll be a tough game uh, for Jerry Kill's squad. So, you know, we'll see if Minnesota starts 0-2. Uh, it wouldn't be a shocker. Uh, I, I said this game at the beginning of the year was, was going to be tough for them. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. It, it, it's it's a good game. If you have CBS Sportsnet, it's a good game to t- tune into. Yeah, Minnesota played without uh, without their top two left tackles last week, so they were a bit hindered on the offensive line. And for them, it's going to be a stout defense, uh, all season, I think that their defense was very impressive, particularly the secondary. They have a very physical secondary. Um, that it's going to be that. The question mark is going to be whether or not they can produce enough points to take advantage of their strong defense. And I, I, I think that they will at Colorado State, but it's certainly no walkover. Uh, it's tough to tough to go out west, play at altitude, and then Colorado State's a good team. So that's going to be a tough game for Minnesota. They are not doing themselves any favors with the schedule, but it does lighten up a bit after after this week for them. Yeah, uh, next we got Eastern Illinois at Northwestern. That's at four on ESPN News. Uh, Eastern Illinois is the alma mater of Jimmy Garoppolo and Tony Romo, uh, but they will not be dressing for the Panthers this weekend. Uh, Northwestern's coming off a huge win over Stanford at home uh, last week. Their defense looked very, very good. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, maybe the Wildcats uh, build on that win uh, and, and don't just, you know, sit on their laurels and, and let Eastern Illinois, uh, you know, t- stay in the game. Uh, they did, Eastern Illinois did lose to uh, Western Illinois, so uh, maybe the opponent, the strength, uh, West, Northwestern will be fired up for this one to go 2-0. and Yeah, I don't think they'll have any problem uh, it's just another opportunity for Clayton Thorson, who, you know, he played mistake-free football, but he certainly uh, could stand to improve on his efficiency some, did not have a very good completion percentage against Stanford, which, you know, good defense. But uh, I think they'll just be looking to fine-tune some things on the offensive side of the ball and make sure that they can get through this one without having anybody hurt. Next up, they go to Duke. That's another tough game for them. But this week, they'll have no problem going to 2-0. and yeah, uh, next up is uh, the Cyhawk Trophy game between Iowa and Iowa State. That's at 445. Weird time, zone, uh, time slot on Fox. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Iowa lost their former uh, safety, Tyler Sash. So some sad news. Only the age of 27. Uh, maybe they'll be fired up and play for him. Um, you know, you hope, hopefully, uh, you know, they, they take something positive out of that. Uh We'll see. Iowa State, uh, you know, I, Iowa looked, uh, you know, we said that they would uh, be upset by Illinois State. Uh, they looked good. Uh, it was 31 uh, 14. So, but going on the road, first test for, for CJ Beathard on the road uh, it, it, this year, and we'll see. And, um, you know, the Cyclones, they handled Northern Iowa, who's been close to upsetting Iowa a couple of times, 31 uh, 7. So, we'll see. It, usually it's a good game. Uh, and, uh, you know, Iowa State has stuck it to Iowa the last few years. Yeah, I was surprised. Iowa State has won three of four in this series, and the last uh, last four games have all been within six points. So 
Uh, I would expect the same with this one, but I was really, really impressed by Iowa, particularly Drew Ott on defense. He's a monster. And uh, on offense, you know, they ran a little bit more up-tempo, threw in some no-huddle. C.J. Beathard was efficient. And I thought that LaShawn Daniels looked like the answer for them at running back. So it was a very good first week for Iowa. Uh, Yeah, next we move on to uh, the site of – maybe the finish of the year uh, this year. Uh, South Alabama and Nebraska. Nebraska lost a heartbreaker to BYU last uh, last week on a Hail Mary. Uh, kind of, you know, maybe, you know, evening out for that Hail Mary against Northwestern a couple of years ago. Uh, but they should get win one of the Mike Riley era uh, started. So uh, that game's at 8 o'clock. Uh, goes against IU on the Big Ten Network as well. Uh, so, you know, tune into that just to see, you know, my, well, don't tune into that because we want you watching IU. Uh, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Nebraska rebounds. They should rebound and, and play pretty well against South Alabama. Yep, agreed. It will not take long for Mike Riley to, to get that first win, but they, they're they going to be hurting from that loss to BYU for, for quite some time, I think. That, was, that definitely appeared to be a gut punch. Yeah, uh, the headliner for... Saturday night is Oregon at Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State's ranked third. Oregon is ranked seventh. Uh, Michigan State didn't look all that impressive in a win over uh, Western Michigan at Western Michigan. A rare time that they'll go on the road against a Mac school. But a win is a win. Uh, Game day is going to be up in Lansing. The atmosphere should be terrific. And Michigan State is looking at payback. Uh, Oregon did put up 60 62, 60, or 61 points in a, in a week one win over Eastern Washington. However, they did give up 42 points. Uh, so their defense might, you know, be struggle against a, a, an offense in uh, Michigan state while their offense might struggle to score against a defense like Michigan state. So, uh, you know, look for, this is a game Michigan state has had circled for a while. Look for them to come out on fire. And I think the Spartans uh, come away with the win here. Yeah, this is probably the biggest non-conference game that Michigan State has had uh, in a very long time. You're probably going back to maybe a game against Notre Dame or something um, when the Irish were you know in the top five. But this is this is a huge game for Michigan State. It's a really big game for the Big Ten, um, and I think after Week One, it's a big game for the Pac-12 as well because they had so many, um, I guess, bad losses. Arizona State getting pummeled by A&M, uh, Stanford losing to Northwestern. I mean, it, it's it's a big game for both conferences, just perception-wise. Um, the only thing that I'm sure of is that there's going to be a lot of points. I don't think either defense will be able to slow down uh, the opposing offenses. It, it should be fun. Uh, I will tell you, you know, record that game. You've got a, got a DVR. You've got, you know, your genie or whatever – service you have record that or watch it later and uh watch iu and then check back on sunday morning for the oregon michigan state game but uh, a lot of good football in week two i'm looking forward to yeah uh, we've got a lot of great games a week two. check back with hoosierhuddle.com uh for all the coverage of iu we'll have a know your opponent on uh on fiu coming up uh, later today or tomorrow uh, we'll have some keys to victory coming out as well. Uh, TJ's game day primer will be out on Friday. It'll have links to everything, plus uh, a few uh, 
you know, a few storylines heading into the game. Uh, TJ, thanks for joining us today. Uh, always a pleasure hosting these shows with you and talking some football. Uh, enjoy uh, the rest of your week, Hoosier Nation. Uh, football starts up again uh, tomorrow. Western uh, Western Kentucky plays, so you know, get that. You know, IU plays them next week. Uh, get that out of the way and uh, and have a great weekend. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro... Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.